If you would like to know different strategies to improve your quality life during your cancer journey, this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Taking Charge of My Cancer podcast, where I'll be interviewing different healthcare professionals, cancer survivors, and I'll be teaching you different resources, tips, and solutions so you can get the best outcomes while dealing with cancer. And Hi, welcome to episode two of Taking Charge of My Cancer podcast. For my listeners that do not already know me, I am your host, Derly Munoz. I have been a physical therapist for 33 years, and I have dedicated the last 13 years towards helping those with cancer at the University of Florida um, in Gainesville, Florida. I am an oncologist specialist, and I developed this podcast to bring education from the different healthcare providers in our interdisciplinary team. I work with a large cancer team that works along with side physicians to ensure our patients receive the most up-to-date and cutting-edge care. Join me today is one of those wonderful physicians, Dr. Lisa Spiegel. So Dr. Spiegel is an associate professor at the University of Florida at the, lead, at the clinical lead for the UF Health Breast Cancer Center, I'm sorry. She provides leading care in breast health, breast cancer diagnosis and treatment as well as an assessment and counseling of high breast cancer risk women. Her clinical and academic interests intersects with a focus on improving quality of life for our breast cancer survivors with a special interest in breast cancer related lymphedema. She has developed a multidisciplinary lymphedema surveillance program with lymphedema certified physical therapists at the University of Florida. Her research endeavors have focused on the prevention of lymphedema following axillary lymph node dissection. She plays an active role in expanding clinical trials to her patient population. As the clinical lead for the UF Health Breast Center, her mission is to uphold our breast center as a nationally recognized breast center of excellence. Through her direction, direction she leads our multidisciplinary breast cancer team through weekly multidisciplinary conference, as well as monthly breast leadership meetings. She is in charge of the national accreditation through National Accreditation Program for Breast Centers. She challenged her breast cancer team to provide up-to-date, comprehensive cancer care with a focus on individualizing treatments, strategies to each patient and their disease biology. Her goal as a clinical leader is to provide our patients with the best oncology care with a strong focus on quality of life, in turn bettering their life of the breast cancer patients treated in our community. So welcome, Dr. Spiegel, and thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your expertise with our audience. Thank you, Durley, for such a kind introduction, and it is such a pleasure to be here today. Um, as Durley had mentioned, I am a breast cancer surgeon at the University of Florida, which is in Gainesville, and I am the clinical lead for the Breast Cancer Center. I moved to Gainesville, a little bit of background. Back in 2012, I completed general surgery residency at the University of Chicago, followed by a breast surgery fellowship at Northwestern University. So I transplanted here from Chicago. So the city of Chicago to Gainesville, Florida and Central Florida. What a change, right? <laughs> right. And I've been here for 12 or 11 years, which speaks of such a wonderful community this is. My practice is 100% breast surgery. So I care for patients with breast cancer. I care for patients with benign breast disease. 
I would say about 70% of my practice is breast cancer treatment. And what I truly love most about my career are the relationships that I develop with my patients through their journey. There are so many women worldwide affected with breast cancer. And in the United States itself in 2023, about 300,000 women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. Men also get impacted by breast cancer, but only about 1% of breast cancer occurs in men. So about 3,000 men will be diagnosed this year. A lot of women are diagnosed, um, but what I really like to focus on is that through the advances in our diagnosis, through the advances in our treatment, and the outcomes for our breast cancer patients are really excellent in the majority of patients. And when you look at statistics, general statistics, overall five and 10 year survival rates are 90 and 85%. And when we look at specific, you know, early stage breast cancers, which we do find when we do good surveillance, survival rates are up to 99%. And even if there's lymph node disease, I remind our patients and my patients that survival is 86%. So we can get our patients back to their lives. And that is what I love most about my job. So my mission as a breast surgeon is really to provide compassionate, up-to-date breast cancer care to my patients. And unlike other disease processes, breast cancer treatment is really shared decision-making. And what that means is that patients are an active participant in which treatments they receive. Um, I tell women all the time that not every breast cancer patient's journey is the same. So it's not only my job as a surgeon to get rid of this cancer, but it's my job as a surgeon to be an educator for my patients on the options, really based on the type of cancer they have, the extent of disease they have, the biology of disease that they have. And so in reality, my patients and I are a team. We're a team and we both partner in developing the right treatment plan for them. And that is really what is awesome about being a breast cancer surgeon. I would say, that one of my greatest interests, and you touched on this, Durley, is improving the quality of life of my survivors. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And so our, you know, as I said earlier, our outcomes for breast cancer treatment are excellent. And in the United States, we have millions of women living with a personal history of breast cancer. And so, you know, that our passion even together is to make the lives of our breast cancer patients better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in 2014, we as a team started our lymphedema surveillance program at the university of Florida. Yeah. So that was almost a decade ago. That has been this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really exciting that, um, We've been in conference together and, and looking into other things together. You know, we, we've been at Harvard together, general class, mm-hmm. and it is so great knowing like men, you know, nobody really have a program like what we do have here, right? So it's really super exciting to see how 
uh, here in Gainesville, Florida, we have this amazing program that we find like some other centers like are supposed to be bigger than us. Um, don't have so that has been really super great to be working with you on this. Uh, so I agree. Month. I agree. It's a very, a very, very, very special place, and I'm very proud of the care that we provide um, our patients. Absolutely. Um, and that, and that really goes on to what we developed out of the surveillance program, and that's really advanced surgical techniques to prevent breast cancer-related lymphedema and. For those that don't know what breast cancer-related lymphedema is, is that, um, and, and, and really lymphedema can happen for many different reasons, but when we treat breast cancer, we take out lymph nodes under the arm where breast cancer potentially drains to. And we do that to really understand um, how advanced the cancer is to guide the next step in treatments. But when we do that, we, we put our patients at risk. And that risk is that the arm, the lymph fluid in the arm can get stuck in the arm because it doesn't have the lymph node there to get the fluid out of the arm to the circulation. And the highest risk for breast cancer-related lymphedema are our patients that need all of their lymph nodes removed, our patients that get um, additional radiation therapy to the lymph nodes are patients that have a higher body weight actually. And so those I would say are the biggest risk factors, the bigger the operation, the more the radiation and the higher the body weight of the patient. And so, um, we want to try to prevent that. And we do that really starting at the time of diagnosis, right? We get them in to see you uh, pre-treatment and you really go over risks. You go over what personal changes those patients can do. Mm-hmm. Diet, exercise, keeping the body weight down, learning about their body composition, learning about their baseline lymphatic function. Um, and then we watch our patients after surgery And in 2015, we instituted really um, a procedure called Lympha that was developed by an Italian group. But really what it is, is immediate lymphatic reconstruction at the time of surgery in removal of these lymph nodes in these very high-risk women. So when the lymph nodes are removed, the lymphatic channels of the arm are identified And instead of allowing them to scar off, they're rerouted into nearby veins. And that helps the lymph channels continue to function. And what our study shows at our institution is a 50 to 60% reduction in lymphedema risk, which if you get to, if lymphedema develops is lifelong, there's really no cure to. So I would say that's probably one of the greatest achievements that we have done as a team together at the University of Florida uh, and continue to do every day. That's awesome. That's exactly well well said, well done. So um, Dr. Spiegel, do you always plan it in doing this? <laughs> doctor? So <laughs> I would say yes. I, as, ba- as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a doctor. I always told my parents I wanted to be a doctor. I favored math and sciences as a youth. 
I loved learning. My favorite place was the library, studying, learning, gaining knowledge. Uh, my husband always jokes and reminds me that if he wanted to spend time with me, that he had to start liking the library. <laughs> so <laughs> that being said, yes, I've always wanted to be a doctor. In regards to being a surgeon, I actually told myself in medical school that surgery is the only profession I wouldn't choose. And that was because of the long hours, the rigorous training, the work-life balance. But I honestly believe whatever profession you go into, it chooses you. And all the rotations I did, surgery fit who I was, my personality, my work ethic, my drive for perfection, my love for the human body and disease processes, and my love for working with my hands. And when I finally rotated on surgery, I knew this was it. And I told my husband, you know, shoot, I, I wanna be a surgeon. And he said, I'm gonna support you in doing that. So I had really good support. And I tell all the medical students that work with me and the residents that work with me who question the same things I did, that really your profession chooses you. And in life, you have to do a job where you feel honored every day and that you're excited about every day. And in that situation, it really isn't work. So for me, surgery chose me. Now, in terms of breast surgery, I would say in my surgery residency, I loved everything. Pediatric surgery, cardiothoracic surgery, vascular surgery, plastic surgery, and surgical oncology. But when I step back and took a look at what really made me happy, I chose breast surgery. And that was for one, personal reasons. My grandmother was diagnosed with bilateral breast cancer. She had bilateral mastectomy and she was impacted by very severe breast cancer related lymphedema. Uh, she wore a sleeve, she had breast prosthesis, and she actually lived a really, really long time after her diagnosis and treatment. Secondly, I chose breast surgery because of what, again, makes me happy. And what makes me happy is having a long-lasting relationship with my patients. And in many fields of surgery, you take care of a patient and you may never see them other than their post-operative visit. But for me, um, I can really be involved in my patient's journey, their diagnosis, their treatment, and their survivorship. So... Um, I feel very blessed to uh, have chosen this as a career. That's awesome. Would you give us three valuable tips that learn that you learn about your journey? Mm -hmm. Sure. I would say um, the first valuable tip really goes along with what I just spoke about, and that's choose a profession that you love and that makes you happy. Then it's really not work. I would say the second thing would be to be proud of who you are as an individual, what you believe in, and do not let other change others change your values. If you do good to others and you expect the best in what you can achieve, never let anyone change that. And that is how I became who I am. And I would say the successes that I've had. I'm proud of who I am and I'm proud of the accomplishments every day. And then I would say in terms of leadership, uh, just you know, having been in the academic setting for 11 years, it's really important as a leader to support and foster talent in the others around you. 
lead by example. Do not be threatened by others' talents and learn from them and foster their success along with your own. Excellent. Um, what would be the most painful lesson that you have learned in this journey? So I would say uh, maybe it's not a painful lesson, uh, but maybe something difficult to overcome, which really in my job is delivering bad news. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's hard when um, patients present with advanced disease or maybe patients, um, you know, look early, but after surgery, we find that the lymph nodes are involved and we have to be able to deliver bad news. And what I try to do and what I've learned over the years is try to find the positive in the bad, really highlight the positive in the bad, because sometimes the bad news helps us make the right decisions. So for example, uh, taking a patient to the operating room that the lymph nodes are normal on exam, normal on imaging, but after the surgery, we find out the cancer had spread to the lymph nodes. It's not what we want. It's not what they want. But what I always remind patients is, is that we want to know if it's there. We yeah. don't want to miss this because then we lose the opportunity to make the right decisions now in terms of treatment so that we can keep you here yep. for years to come. Yep. So um, really trying to find the positivity in the negativity is what I would, I try to do, but it, it's a hard thing to learn to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, is there, is there anything that you have that will be our value to our audience? And if, if yes, will you share that with us? Sure. I would say, honestly, um, the valuable tips I mentioned above, right? Choose a profession that you love, be proud of who you are and what you accomplish and foster the success of others around you. And then I guess one additional thing I could add would be find time outside of work for activities that make you happy. So what does make you happy? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. <laughs> so no, what makes me happy is my family. Um, honestly, spending time with my family, whether I'm cooking dinner, I have my family around when we travel, we have our kids around enjoying downtime at home with my family, with my children, with my husband, with my parents, with my in-laws. Um, and of course, my two puppies, Cooper and Maddie. So um, I would say that being home with my family is probably what makes me most happy. That's awesome. Um, you mentioned travel. What are some of the most beautiful places that you have had travel? So I've been fortunate to travel, um, maybe not as much as others, but I would say if I had to choose the most interesting or exotic places would be um, Santorini, Greece. Um, I don't know if you've been there, Durley, but it's no, just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I was close, um, but not there yet. <laughs> checklist one of these days. <laughs> For my 40th birthday, we went to Reykjavik, Iceland, uh, and saw the Northern Lights, uh, Aurora Borealis. 
which was unreal. And then my husband, who's Brazilian, we traveled down to Brazil. I'd say one of our favorite places to go is called Angra dos Reis, which is Bay of the Kings. Um, so those are probably some of the top exotic places I've been. Uh, but to be honest, being here in Florida, we have access to such beautiful beaches. Some of my favorites are Rosemary Beach up in the Panhandle, Amelia Island in the Northeast, Anna Maria Island, which is just south of Tampa, mm -hmm. and Siesta Key, which is just south of Sarasota, which are probably my favorite places to sneak away and relax at. That's awesome. You know, it's the first time I hear you speaking a little bit of uh, Portuguese when you <laughs> mentioned the Angra dos Reis. Angra dos Reis, yes. Eu falo um pouco. Okay, very good, very good. <laughs> so who has been the most influential in your career? Um, so I think I would break this down Um in terms of who I am and who I've become, I would say my parents. Uh, my father instilled in me my work ethic, grit, endurance, perseverance, using my hands to build and create. And my mother really instilled in me the compassion and kindness, empathy, and self-worth. Self uh, really, she made me know that I could accomplish anything and that I needed always to put myself first and to accomplish things that I wanted to do with my life. So I would say my parents were very influential in who I am as an individual and um, supporting my career path. Um, in terms of professional um, people that have influenced me and the directions I've take, taken with my career would really be the breast surgeon I trained with at the University of Chicago in general surgery residency, Dr. Nora Jaskowiak. She's still at the University of Chicago. Uh, the plastic and reconstructive surgeon who we worked with when we started this journey with lymphedema prevention and surveillance, uh, Dr. Drew Singal, who is currently practicing at Beth Israel Deaconess in Boston, and Dr. Uh, Suzanne Klimberg, who is currently at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, uh, who is a breast surgeon that also has really pioneered uh, techniques in breast cancer-related lymphedema prevention, and just is an individual that thinks outside the box and really challenges the current system. So I would say those three individuals from a professional standpoint um, have been most influential in my career. Awesome. Anna, what has been your greatest accomplishment? Well, well, I would say becoming who I am today, right? My goal of becoming a doctor and positively impacting the lives of the patients I care for. Um, and then, of course, personally meeting my husband and becoming a mother of three amazing, beautiful children. So that's awesome. Well, Lisa has been a really pleasure working with you. Um, and I can say, you know, when you're talking about um, really like put something on your mind and just move forward with it again, you came here uh, to our program 
And um, when we were working with Dr. Singh Hall, working in our lymph node transplants and doing preventive lymphatic with doing the lympha procedures. And unfortunately, he chose to go somewhere else. And it, your passion, instead of just let our program die, you just step up, you know, and then usually these lympha procedures are done by breast surgeons who are microsurgeons. And here you are an amazing breast surgeon doing coming out of your comfort zone, having a great trainer, but just really getting this program surviving the way it is and being one of the top in the country, really, because besides, you know, Beth Israel with Dr. Singholder and us is not really any other program like us. So, um, so has been really every day amazing working with you. It's super always learning from you in every Monday morning breast cancer conference. Always like, you no, know, I know I can always reach out to you and you continue educating me so we can continue serving the patients that we work with every day. Um, so thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Yes, well, it has been a pleasure and a pleasure over the past. 11 years uh, being a partner with you. Thank you so much. You take care. Mm.